everyone. Today I'm going to tell you three stories about one man. He's a rogue, a revolutionary, and of course an archer. This is Breakfast with Gilgamesh. I'm sure. A rogue clad in green, a jolly band of yeomen at his beck and call. He robs from the rich and gives to the poor. He's an archer, and he's always one step ahead of his nemesis, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Robin Hood and his merry men have haunted Nottinghamshire Forest in the southeast of England since the Middle Ages. The earliest Robin Hood stories were quite simple, usually told as a song, poem, or short play. Robin Hood would outsmart a lawman, help a down-on-his-luck knight, or narrowly escape certain death. The character is incredibly prolific, perhaps the most beloved character in all of English literature, but his origins, his canon, and even his allegiances have changed dramatically over the centuries. Today I'll tell you three stories of Robin Hood, passed down through the ages. I've tried as best I can to choose three stories that capture something of this character's elusive, ever-morphing spirit. Robin Hood is English, but there are many interpretations and understandings of him across many cultures. Robin Hood belongs to everyone, but the telling of these stories belong to me, and are my responsibility in the tradition of the oral storyteller. As such, I hope you'll forgive any embellishments, deviations, or outright flights of fancy that I indulge in as I tell them to you. So now, let's begin with three tales of the archer. Deep in Sherwood Forest, where the wind whistles a happy tune through mighty oak, a great feast, as splendid as it was ill-gotten, was prepared at the stone table of Robin Hood. Grace was spoken most solemnly, in thanks to the Virgin Mother Mary, whom Robin was so devoted. But not one crumb of food was touched, because Robin would never eat without a guest. Little John Go out to the woods and scour the roads of Sherwood for a guest to join us for dinner, and pay his way, of course. Little John grinned a sly grin and tipped his cap, then was off. Yonder down the way as the crow flies, a good knight clad in rags was making his way. He froze in his tracks, noticing from the corner of his eye a shadow among the trees, huge and broad. He drew the rusty sword at his hip and made for fight. When Little John emerged from the oaken shadows, the knight's fear turned to resignation. Ah, bandit, well met. I have, I must tell you, nothing to give up. Now come, said Little John. I mean not to rob you, good knight. I am John Little. Come with me, and we'll feast with Robin Hood himself. The knight hadn't eaten for a fortnight, and tucked his sword back into his belt, happy to be led by this giant through the evening woods. As they walked, all sense of direction was lost on the knight, 
they took lefts, rights, two more lefts, and at least three rights more. When he was completely turned around, he realized he had lost the great hulking man somewhere along the way. But there, just ahead of him, through a bramble of rose thorns, was a dim light and a cheery sound, like men singing. The knight stepped through the bramble, and before him was a clearing full to burst with yeomen all clad in green, slapping their hands on the table and singing a cheery song he knew from somewhere but couldn't place. You're finally here, said Little John, who stood at the end of a great long flat stone, propped up by boulders and covered to the edges with steaming roast duck, glistening vegetables, and bright, glossy fruit. The knight felt his stomach clench in anticipation when he noticed the gaunt young man sitting on a throne carved from the stump of an oak to the right of Little John, who wore a sly grin. Welcome, Sir Knight. Sit and eat your fill. You dine with Robin Hood under the grace of the Virgin Mother. The knight did eat his fill. He packed his plate thrice, and when all was done, loosened his old belt and let out a belch of highest gratitude to his host to the delight of all the merry men, who cheered and clanked their flagons together in agreement. Well, said Little John, you sound like you enjoyed yourself. Oh, yes, I thank you all, good sirs. Then, said John, as with any feast, the bill comes due. The knight stood upright, and his jaw wiggled open for a moment as fear shot through his ears. Ah, uh, of course. I am sorry, good little John, and I am sorry to you, my great host Robin Hood. I have only ten farthings. I have only my sword. They are yours to take, of course. Robin leaned forward and drummed his fingers on the table. How can a knight be so destitute? Little John, what say you? Little John approached the knight, who stood up and dropped his sword on the ground, along with a tiny pile of coins. John smiled politely and laid his huge hands on the knight's shoulders, then patted his ribs and his spindly, aged legs. He's telling the truth, good Robin, said Little John. Poor as a papa, this one. You see, great Robin, said the knight, my son has killed a knight of Lancaster in a duel. It was a right-wise contest, but the knight's master won't hear of it and demands a blood price. I had to sell everything, my best armor, my furniture and servants, and all my land to pay it. I was, when your good yeoman found me, on the way to the abbot of St. Mary's, who mortgaged my land and gave me the money for the blood price, to tell him I cannot pay him back, and that the land will belong to him forever. Well, said Robin, leaping to his feet, this won't do at all. This simply won't do. You know what we do to people who cannot pay their bill? The knight hung his head and held his hands up to brace for the blow the bear of a man would surely strike him with. But no blow came. He, after a few moments, looked up between his fingers and saw six of Robin's men all approach him with glittering armor in their hands, and each in turn laid at his feet armor, silken robes, a new sword, and a bright leather bridle gilded with finery. Well, said Robin, put it on, good knight. The men all laughed as the knight removed his tatters and placed the glimmering armor 
on his hunched shoulders. Stand tall, said Robin, approaching him with a bag of gold in each hand. Pay your debts, and be off to the good abbot of our blessed virgin mother. The men all cheered, and the knight took the bags. But, good sir, this is twice what I owe. Then you shall be twice the grateful, I should think. Oh, yes, said the knight. I will repay you, good Robin. I swear on my honor, on my son, on my land, and on the blessed virgin. I shall be back in Sherwood in a month's time to repay your kindness. The men all cheered again. Go then, and take little John with you. When the knight arrived at the abbey, he was met most unwelcome. The abbot was shocked to see his clean, shining armor, and took the money owed with a sneer. He had purchased the land at well below its value, and had lost money by virtue of this knight suddenly appearing with the debit. You know, said the abbot, God hath ordained this land be ceded to my church, good knight. I would have used it to give glory to the Blessed Virgin. Aye, said Little John. Does the Blessed Virgin thus profit from the misfortune of good men, and enrich the pockets of the greedy? At this the abbot bid them leave, and the knight returned to his plot, vowing to Little John that he would return in thirty days with the money owed good Robin Hood. The days passed, and the knight now restored, and the blood price paid, forsook every comfort in the name of raising money, tilling fields with his servants, and hunting his land for every fur he could sell. But it wasn't enough. On the thirtieth day, he was still a great many coins short of what he owed Robin Hood. He had no choice then. He sold the gilded armor, and the bridle he had been given, and the beautiful horses he strode. Clad in the rags he wore on that fateful night, he made for Sherwood on foot. The abbot was walking along the way, thinking of all the trouble he had come to in not acquiring that miserable knight's lands, muttering to himself he didn't even notice the man in red emerge from the trees until he was upon him. A good evening to you, abbot. Ah, said the abbot, jumping back. Blessed virgin, you scared me, sir. The man in red laughed and bowed his head. I am Will Scarlet, good abbot and my master seeks the company of a hungry soul. Well then, said the abbot, placing a hand on his round belly. You found him. A feast is just the thing to relieve me of my troubles. Through the wood and the winding way they went, through oak and bramble to Robin's table, all full of duck and fruit. Well met, abbot. Not the company I was expecting this night, but most welcome is a man of the cloth to the table of Robin Hood. The abbot bowed his head low, trying to hide the fear in his eyes, for he knew what Robin Hood did to men who hoard gold and exploit the poor. Well met, Robin Hood. It honors me to eat at your table. And so they ate, and drank, and made merry song till twilight, till the old abbot had drank and ate his fill, and held his belly, letting out a great belch, which the men all cheered and raised their flagons. Well, said Little John, emerging from behind Robin with a grin. The abbot's jaw dropped, and he made to get up, but the firm hand of Will Scarlet pressed him to his seat. You sound as if you enjoyed yourself. Oh, yes, dear boy, thank you. Thank you all, good sirs. Then, said Little John, as with any great feast, the bill comes due. Ah, said the abbot, 
touching a shaking hand to his wagging chin. I am but a simple abbot of the Blessed Virgin. I have no money to give you, good Robin Hood. Surely you understand. At this Robin stood, and with a grin, bent his chin at the abbot, and winked at Little John. The giant lumbered toward the abbot, and Will Scarlet lifted him by the shoulders to his feet. Begging your pardon, good abbot, said Little John, and with his paws, patted down the abbot's cloth. From his belt, he pulled a sack on a string, heavy and loud. Well, blow me down, said Will Scarlet. Here, look, Robin, a genuine miracle. The abbot's eyes widened, and he swiped at the bag, deftly pulled from his grasp. My word, said Little John, pulling the mouth of the sack open to find more gold than even the knight had been given. Good Robin, this poor abbot came to us in his holy vow of poverty, unable to pay for his meal, and look here, the virgin blesses us with riches. Robin grinned and approached the abbot, placing his arms on the terrified old man's shoulders. The abbot smiled nervously, and Robin laughed. What a splendid thing, abbot! Our blessed virgin mother brought you to us to feed you, and in feeding you, she has blessed us with gold to help the needy. Truly, God is great. The abbot raised his hand to speak, but before he could get a word past his lips, Little John had already herded him back to the woods, past the bramble and the oak. The dawn was rising over the eastern wood when the knight in his rags found the rose bramble and crawled through it. There he saw the dwindled candles whispering smoke into the morning air and not a morsel of food on the great stone table. The knight walked solemnly to the stump throne of Robin Hood and placed there two bags of gold and all that was owed. I am sorry I have failed to pay my debt in good time, good Robin Hood. But you haven't, said Robin, perched on the high oak trees with his men, sleeping off the feast with the abbot's bag in his lap. Go, good knight, and keep what is yours. The debt is paid by the providence of our blessed mother, and you are sworn only to remember what was done for you, and keep that kindness in your heart for the rest of your days. And the knight did just that for the rest of his days. The End Marion and Robin Hood. The Earl of Huntington was a righteous noble, but bored and cloistered in his royal estate. His only comforts were his love, Maid Marion, and his secret life as an outlaw, robbing the rich as they passed through Sherwood Forest to the east of his estate toward Nottinghamshire. He would plunder the noblemen of his class's wagons and chests, and give all he stole to the poor, clad in green and hooded so that no man would recognize him. Marion was a righteous noble, but bored and cloistered in her royal estate. Her only comforts were her love, the Earl of Huntington, and her secret life as a warrior. Each night, she would steal away to the castle's library and read the old lessons of the greatest knights who ever defended the realm. She had fashioned for herself a wooden sword, and each night, surrounded by books and the solitude of twilight, she would practice her swordcraft and imagine the glory of a defender of the weak. On a fateful night, on the eve of his wedding to Good Marion, the Earl made a decision. He would escape, and this time for good, 
disappear into the forest and trade his loneliness without Marion for the happiness he felt in the woods, feasting, adventuring, and plundering the rich in the name of the downtrodden. For this escape from the castle, clad in green and well hidden by darkness, he climbed out through the window and down the tower side. He kept with him a large sack over his shoulder, full of treasure stolen from his own court, as big as a man and almost as heavy. As he made his way through the courtyard, he saw, quite to his surprise, his maiden love, walking across the yard in silence. They noticed each other at the same time and froze for a split second, staring one another down in the darkness. Before Marion could make a move, Robin bolted to the gate, scaled over the iron bars, and was off to Sherwood. Marion, once her senses found her, scrambled through the castle, shouting for the guards to sound the alarm. She made for the Earl's chambers, where she found the rope dangling out of the window and the bed quite empty. She knew right off what had happened. The Earl had been thrown into a sack by the brigand and stolen off for ransom. She would pay it, she thought. She would pay any price to have her love back in her arms. She cursed herself for not having the wherewithal to capture the rogue who crossed her courtyard. And after no ransom was asked, she knew the worst had happened, and that the only person she thought might understand her had been murdered by a thief in the night. Robin Hood spent the following weeks in Sherwood, never to return to the castle. Word had spread that he had kidnapped and murdered the Earl, and that suited him fine. He missed his Marion, but he was happy out there in haunted Sherwood with his men, doing good by bow and sword, and avoiding the capture of the Sheriff of Nottingham and his troop of bully boys. One misty morning, Robin found himself trotting down a Sherwood path toward Sheffield on a pony. He sang a happy tune on his trusty lute, off to meet Will Scarlet, Little John, and Alan Adale, who would surely chastise his poor singing. He did not see the blow that threw him from his horse, but when he hit the ground shoulder first, he flipped to his feet and drew his bow in a single smooth movement, peering through the mist for his ambusher's neck. His bow was knocked clean from his hands and skipped along the road's stones, and Robin found himself face to face with his assailant, a man in black chain and black robe, brandishing a sword that gleamed in the shimmer of morning's light. Robin drew his sword and thrust at the figure, who dodged the attack and spun, sliding the edge of his blade across Robin's shoulder. You seek the fortune of my bounty, said Robin. You won't have it. The figure snarled under his breath and swung wildly at Robin, who ducked beneath the blade's path and stuck the ranger in his belly, then lifted his elbow hard on his opponent's chin. The rider fell backwards, and when he got back on his feet, he could see Robin off down the road, chasing after his pony. The ranger wiped the blood from his chin and brought forth a crossbow, firing a bolt that set itself deep in the meat of Robin's rump, sending him crumbling to the ground. As the strider approached, he twirled his sword in a satisfied manner and delighted in the groans of the outlaw. All right, said Robin, between groans of agony, as he writhed and pulled at the bolt. You got me. You may as well take me alive. When the ranger reached him, he kicked him onto his back and raised his blade. There'll be no mercy for you, murderer, said the ranger. You're sure about that, said Robin. The ranger heard the creaking of bows at full draw and looked up into the trees to see no less than ten arrows set on him. Robin crawled to his feet and shouted, you all took your time finding me. And the men in the trees laughed. Little John stepped out from behind the great oak tree and approached the ranger with his quarter staff. 
If you weren't always late to our appointments, you wouldn't find yourself without your band so often, good Robin. The men laughed again, and Robin limped toward the ranger as the sun crept over the tree line and cut through the mist. Well, ranger, you're a man of some skill with a blade. And a crossbow, I should say, said Little John, to more laughter from the trees. You can join us if you wish to keep your life, said Robin. I'll never join you scum, said the ranger. Robin smiled and raised his left hand to signal a fire of the drawn bows in the trees. Then I'm afraid we have nothing left to discuss, Strider. As the sun lifted, Robin met the ranger's eyes, and his cheeks went red. He shouted at his men to lower their bows, and each did. The ranger, confused, lifted his hood to reveal the beauty of Maid Marian herself in disguise. It is you, said Robin. What are you doing here? Marian spat at Robin. Avenging my love. No bounty could buy back what you stole from me. Robin laughed so hard he doubled over in pain from his wounds. Then as he rose, he flipped back his green hood. Marion's eyes filled with tears, and she smiled, she felt, for the first time in longer than she cared to consider. It's you, said Marion. It's me, said Robin. The end. The Jest of the Tinker The Sheriff of Nottingham's Tournament of Archery had been won by the outlaw Robin Hood, disguised as a beggar. As if that wasn't humiliating enough, Robin narrowly escaped the ambush the Sheriff had set, the very point of the tournament itself, and even won a kiss from the maiden Marion on his way. The Sheriff had posted bounty after bounty all throughout Nottinghamshire, but people would just tear them down. The people loved Robin and those that didn't were far too afraid of the consequences of capturing him. For if they were known to the people of Nottingham as the man who captured their hero, they'd scarcely be able to live long enough to enjoy their newfound wealth. The solution, surmised the sheriff, was to write a warrant and then put it in the care of a messenger, who would travel to more disreputable pubs and inns of the country and hire a strong man, not beholden to the cultural whims of the peasants, to make short work of the outlaw and be on his way, far from Nottingham. It was brilliant, thought the sheriff, inspired. He wrote the warrant and had it notarized by the king, and sent the messenger off to find the hands who would squeeze the life out of the green rogue. The first pub the messenger came to was just south of Lincoln. He had been riding all day on the dusty summer roads, and as he entered the blue boar and wiped the dust from his cheeks, he called the barkeep for a cup of ale and collapsed into the wooden stool by a small, lonesome table to listen to the rough-and-tumble sort who crowded this place. After a few sips of ale, he heard the distinct song of the braggart rise over the cacophony. On the other side of the room, surrounded by barefoot monks and Lincoln woodsmen clad in green, there was a boulder of a man, with black wiry hair like a sheep jutting out in all directions. He was nursing a flagon of mead and shouting with a toothy grin on his face. So then, said the man with wool hair, they asked me to fix their running wagon. I says I, am I not a tinker? My bag and hammer to ready. I beat fresh nails into the wheel and made it right-wise with me own hands and no help from those four louts. 
Then I turned to look at him and say, All right, boys, that'll be twenty farthings as you please. Well, wouldn't you know, instead of farthings, they offer me the end of quarterstaffs. The nerve. The messenger sat up from his seat and listened intently. So what then, Tinker? asked one of the barefoot monks, with the slur of beer on his lips. Well, then, what is I took me ammer in one hand and me club in the other, and I bashed him one after another. No good to stiff a tinker when you can't even handle a quarterstaff, eh? The men all laughed, and so did the messenger, who got up from his stool and approached the tinker as he finished his mead. Well met, good tinker, said the messenger. Well met, stranger. You really fought off four highwaymen? Aye, stranger, with ease. What is it to you? Well, good sir. I wonder if you are a tinker by trade alone, or if fixing wagons isn't the only talent you have. Come to your point, stranger. Come to it quickly. My clubs is shivering to break the jaws of men who talk too much. I, of course, tinker. I am a messenger of the good sheriff of Nottingham. In my possession, I hold a warrant for the arrest, dead or alive, of the bandit Robin Hood. Have you heard of him? Nay, stranger, I can't say I have. That's perfect, good tinker. He lives in Sherwood, just north of here, and is a scourge to the good people of Nottinghamshire. I propose to give you this warrant that you might serve it. The messenger retrieved the warrant from his satchel and presented it to the tinker, who tried not to let his eyes bulge too far from his head when he read the sum of the reward. The tinker cleared his throat and snatched the warrant from the messenger's hand with his rough black fingers. I'll serve your warrant. In good time, too. Off the tinker went, down the dusty road to Sherwood Forest, when he came upon a young man with a cheery look about him, who greeted him with a smile. You there, said the tinker. What do you know of Robin Hood? I should say quite a bit, said the young man. The tinker drew up his club and raised it to the boy's nose. You'll tell me all you know, then. Aye, said the young man. I was just on my way to the Blue Boar for a pint of ale. Come along, and I'll tell you all you want to know. The two entered the dusty bar, and the landlord nodded. Back again so soon, said he. Enough of your chatter, barkeep. Bring me mead and ale for the boy. We have business we're about. The landlord looked the young man up and down and shrugged, then went to fetch their drink. For hours the two men spoke. As the sun found its way westward and down the horizon, the young man told the tinker all he knew of Robin Hood. A broad mountain of a man, much like yourself, green teeth and a horrid black beard. He wears seven scars on his horrible face, and he can knock a goat over with his breath. The tinker committed these details to memory, and watched out the window of the inn as the sun went low. Well, there'll be no finding him in the dark forest at night, whereas I can be ambushed by his band. I'll wait till morning, then head off. You're a good lad for helping me. Drink with me tonight, and we'll make merry for the fortune I'll collect on the morrow. The young man grinned and winked at the tinker, clanking his cup against the tinker's and bottoms up. Drink after drink came sliding across the table and into the tinker's hand. He sang a song of Saxony, and his voice betrayed his barbarous appearance with sweet melody. The young man marveled at the angel's voice that sprang from this bully's rotten mouth. On the revelry went, and in the morning, with the tinker drunk his fill and asleep on his stool, the young man poached the warrant from his satchel 
and found the landlord sweeping at the entrance in his nightgown. Ho there, landlord! Ho there, Robin Hood, said the landlord. Quiet now, landlord. Should that tinker hear you say my name? The landlord peered into the corner of his bar and gandered at the great mass of flesh and hair stinking up the western corner, snoring loudly. Robin slid two gold coins into the landlord's shirt pocket and said, Now listen closely. Here's your fare for last night, but tell the tinker the bill is due. Landlords have never known compunction when it comes to charging twice, so he nodded and smiled politely. When he can't foot the bill, said Robin, take his hammer and bag his pay. He'll have no use for them anyway. Robin threw the warrant into the hearth, watched it burn to ash, and made his merry way back to Sherwood. When the tinker woke up, his mouth tasted awful, and his head rang like church bells. He groaned as he picked his shambles up off the stool and made for the door. The landlord stepped in his way and said, Sir, you've got a tab to pay. Oi, where's that boy I was drinking with? He'll pay ya. Oh, he's long gone, sir. What? Well, tell me his name, and I'll find him and beat your tab out of his blinking face. His name, sir? Why, Robin Hood, of course. The tinker's jaw dropped, and all at once he was alert and awake. You knew that was Robin Hood, and you didn't say nothing last night. Why would I say anything? He's here all the time, him and his merry men. I thought you might be one of them. Now see here, barkeep. I ain't got no coin, but I do have a warrant for the arrest of that blackguard, and when I catch him and have it paid out... I'll have more than enough to pay your stinking tab. The tinker reached into his pouch to fetch the warrant, but it was gone. After a moment of frantic searching, the tinker's face turned bright red and he roared. The scoundrel's stolen me bloody warrant! Well, you can't leave until you've paid. And if you try any rough stuff, I'll have the sheriff of Nottingham here to deal with you. The sheriff wrote the damn warrant! That's the business of you and the sheriff. My tab is the business of you and I. Look, barkeep, take my hammer and my bag. When I found that rogue, served that warrant, and I'm a rich man, my tinker and days will be behind me forever. The landlord stroked his chin and feigned a skeptical air, but took the hammer and bag and bade the tinker good luck with his hunt. The tinker charged down the road, kicking up clouds as he jogged with his club firm in hand. He froze among the oak trees when he heard a song from the tree above that didn't sound like any bird. It was, in fact, the tune of his song from the night before, and there, in a thick oak tree, was the young man, outstretched on a branch with his leg dangling, whistling the tinker's song to himself. You! shouted the tinker, and Robin jolted up and fell off the branch, landing in the dirt road with a thud. As he got to his feet and wiped at his clothes to get the dust off, the tinker swung at him with his club, which Robin narrowly dodged. You're in a sour mood, said Robin. You're coming with me! The tinker swung at Robin again, and again Robin dodged, this time grabbing the club and slamming his shoulder into the tinker's chest, forcing the club from his grip. Robin twirled the club in his hand and laughed as the tinker took swipe after swipe at Robin, missing each time. I'm gonna have your guts! shouted the tinker. Robin whistled the tune of the Tinker's song again and made for the woods with the Tinker chasing after him. As they came to a clearing, Robin spun and faced the Tinker, who froze when he noticed eight bows at full draw pointed at his head. 
Come now, good tinker, said Robin, throwing his club to the ground. You bested. The tinker's face loosened, and the flush-pink complexion relaxed. He was beaten, and he knew it. And as he picked up his club, he laughed. Aye, you're an impressive young man. Robin grinned and bowed his head low, taking off his cap and placing it at his heart. You're quite impressive yourself. Your voice is like honey, rivaled only by Alan Adale. The tinker sighed and rubbed his chest, still sore from Robin's strike. So what happens now? Well, said Robin, motioning for his men, lowering their bows. Your warrant is gone, your hammer and bag belong to the innkeeper, and here you are, in the heart of Sherwood. There's only one thing for it. You'll just have to join our troop, and sing for us every night. You'll be paid well, and a share of all the spoils, an equal man to any here. The tinker's eyes bulged just as they had when he first read the warrant that began this whole affair, and after a moment's hesitation, he nodded and offered his hand to Robin. Aye, said the tinker, and he was a merry man the rest of his days. Robin Hood has been an incredibly important part of English culture for almost a thousand years. He's the hero of the English ritual called the May Games, which marks the beginning of summer. A young man, voted on from among the local populace, would be chosen to portray Robin, a lord of misrule and mischief, who would go door to door and collect money for the church to be used in pious works of charity. It's worth noting that this tradition of selecting Robin Hood for the May Games was not traditionally done in places like Nottinghamshire or Sheffield, where Robin's stories take place. Robin's canon is incredibly loose, lending himself to interpretation. His first printed appearance is in William Langland's Piers Plowman, a 14th century poem in which a drunken abbot professes that he knows not the Holy Scripture, but he knows the rhymes of Robin Hood, suggesting that by this time Robin was already popular enough to be mentioned in passing thus. By the 16th century and the advent of the print press, Robin Hood was cleaned up and given his royal blood, perhaps as a way to make him appeal to the aristocrats who were the chief patrons of this new form of mass-market media. Over the centuries, there have been as many interpretations of Robin Hood as you can imagine, from comic book characters to frequent movie star, high-concept reimagining superhero movies, and of course, cartoon foxes all keeping this elusive fictional character alive in the imaginations of people around the world. Robin was not a real man, as some have stubbornly speculated without evidence, but his legacy as a collective entity, an ever-changing, ever-popular spirit of rebellion and justice, has never faded in all these centuries. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash breakfastwithgilgamesh. And if you'd like to read fiction by your humble host and author, Accompanied by the incredible work of talented artists, you can find it at zkleverton.com. A special thanks to Sam Beck, who designed my beautiful logo, Thomas Holden, who composed the wonderful music you heard throughout, and to all the friends and partners who made this project possible with their time and insight. Next episode, the god hero of ancient Egypt and his many trials. Join us then for more Breakfast with Gilgamesh. <laughs>